Welcome to Debt Talk Podcast with your host, Ripon Ray, a consumer debt expert for over 10 years. The topic that I'm going to speak about with my panel members is eat, heat, or pay your rent during the cost of living crisis. As I was growing up, I didn't know the meaning of food banks. Now, the demands for food banks have become more important than ever before. According to Trussell Trust, a franchise of food banks, there are over 1,400 food banks throughout the UK. It would not be of surprise to anyone that either you as a pensioner or on Zura's contract is going to be a knife edge due to the rising inflation, cost of fuel, food, rent, to name just a few. An unfortunate decision will no doubt be made by those who are struggling whether to pay rent, heat or eat. To explore further into the reality of the current cost of living crisis, in this episode, I'm going to speak to Barry Duckett, a pensioner and a community campaigner in London, who's to share his personal experience. Joe Richardson, research manager from Living Wage Foundation, who has undertaken extensive research on low income and finance. And finally, Jane Clark, Chair of Institute of Money Advisors, a national debt training charity in the UK. She personally is also a accredited debt advisor. Near the end of this episode, I'm also expecting my guest to provide tips to our listeners to support them during such a tough time. Let me speak with Barry Duckett about his personal situation prior to the cost of living crisis and how things have changed for him. Barry. Thank you very much indeed. Um, well, during the, um, during the COVID big problem, we, we managed to, shall I say, just about barely get through because, you know, we were supplying people with food who had nothing. We found lots of people who were really in need. And then all of a sudden we, we got this sudden increase in the fuel bills and everything else coming. And it's not unusual for people, as I've said to my colleagues yesterday when we had a meeting, to get up in the morning in the cold, not put your eating on, and no lights, of course, because you're, you're frightened. People are really frightened about the costs that, that, that we're going to incur, especially the elderly people. And it's also happening to people on universal credit because they get their rent paid directly to them. But where they get their rent directly paid to them is a decision that they have to make whether they're going to heat their flats or go and get something to eat. So that creates a big knock-on effect because that hits the housing revenue account which then, in fact, hits the services that we get from Southwark Council. But as I've said, you know, most of the elderly people on here, when we go to speak to them, you knock on the door, they're going to bed early, they're getting up quite early because they can't afford to heat their flats. And nobody seems to really care about it. This is the problem, you know. There's no way out. And what, what really gets you down is to think that it takes you back to one of these little kids in the 50s where you got up early in the morning and your mum would wash you with a wet, cold flannel. But it's ridiculous when you think it's a luxury to even have hot water on. And this is our problem. It's not going to escalate by twice the price. It's going to triple. I actually made a few phone calls to the um, electricity and to the gas people. And they said to me, your bill you've got now, which was 160-something pound, 
for the summer months. And don't forget, I'm never hardly ever in because I'm always helping people. I'm always over this all. It's going to triple. So I worked out my bills would be um, the electricity would probably be £30 a week. The gas will probably be on par. So if you are basically a pensioner, you're not going to be able to afford it. The state pension won't cover it. And this is what's happening. People don't realise the people that are in hardship on these council estates. Not only that, zero contract people. You've got people who've got children, you've got disabilities. We have a lot of people with disabilities who can't afford to put eat into their flats. And this is the problem. And it's only going to get worse this year. Gary, I know we've had a chat also prior to um, the podcast and you mentioned about how your situation is at home where you're being very careful as to whether to turn on the heater or not. Tell us a bit more about that. Well, I, I myself have been a cancer sufferer. I've had cancer twice and lost various parts of me. And I, I'm an insomniac because I'm always, my mind's always working and I'm always up about four or five o'clock in the morning writing emails or doing something. But the other day, as I said, it was seven degrees in my house and I didn't turn the heating on. I just sat downstairs on the iPad, you know, writing out bits and pieces. And you go to bed when it's cold. So personally, I'm very worried because I know that my pension will not cover my eating bills. So, you know, it, it's, it's, it's so stupid that we're in 2022 and people like myself who admit we are suffering. I mean, you know, it, it's just you imagine getting up in the morning and especially as you've got people who have been ill or are ill and there's no eating on. I mean, I do sit there with no eating on. I did a, a Zoom meeting the other day and someone said, why isn't your light on while you're doing a Zoom meeting? I said, because we're, we're, we're really worried. We're trying to economise. You know, it's, I don't want to be in a situation which a lot of my colleagues are in, where at the end of this month, when they get their bills, they're not going to be able to afford it. A lot of elderly people are very proud people, which I find regularly. And we're of the old school. We don't want the bailiffs coming round. This is the worry. You know, you've got the worry of, the, the bailiffs coming round, you've got the worry about your debts, you know, and it does come to a point where, you know, having the hot water on is a luxury, going out to buy food. I talk to a lot of people, which, you, you know, I, I represent, and they're going out late at night, some of them, looking for cheap food in Tesco's. This isn't the way we should be. This is 2022. And I'm not the only one. We do sit in the cold. You do sit on the cold, and no doubt also you're also hearing hard tough stories from others and Barry I do also remember you mentioned around people where they're saying whether to spend money on their food or pay their rent tell me a bit more about that well as I've said the universal credit and old people get their pensioners and pensions and a lot of old people are worried about being in rent arrears like most people and this is the problem a lot of people are saying I'm going to pay the rent but I'm going to have to cut back on food and, you know, it is a major problem when you think that way because, you know, our rents are quite good because we're council tenants. But if you're in the private sector, some of the rents on this estate that are, that are absentee landlords are £2,200 a month. And this is ridiculous. I mean, I've got a nurse on this estate who can barely afford what he's, what he's paying on the rent. So he's in problems, you know, we're helping him. And it's ludicrous that he works for the NHS and at the end of the month, he's got nothing. But, you know, it is a big decision that people have to make. And it's a decision that a lot of people are very worried about. 
the current government's um, support, how does that fit into what you're hearing and seeing? Well, don't forget, pensioners who are on a standard pension don't get much of the support. They did get that little bit extra, the £150 and a bit towards the, uh, the tax. But even so, I mean, it's not a lot of money, is it? I mean, when you work out, 350 if you're on universal credit uh, credit twice. I mean, what is that going to pay? I mean, that's not going to help you out, really. Because don't forget, when you get that £350, you think, I've got to pay rent arrears off. I've got to go out. You know, it, it's... It's not enough. They haven't sat down and thought about the, the people who are really in hard times. What do you want to see happen? Well, I think myself that, you know, big councils like ourselves, we've got so much money because the London Borough of Southwark is basically one of the biggest landlords there are. But the problem is the, with the London Borough of Southwark, they don't really take much notice of their tenants as such. You know, they don't really talk to us a lot. But what the government should have done, they should have sat down and they should have looked at the actual incomes of people on pensions and also on universal credit and, of course, those on um, zero contracts and work something out. Because it's no good telling me we're removing the cap on the eating. But what we're going to do is we're going to give you a little bit back of your heating bills because that doesn't do anything for us because it still makes you worry. It makes you think, you know, when you go in, I go in tonight, I won't turn the lights on, I won't turn the eating on. And most of the people that I visit today delivering food to, they will not be doing the same. So this government is not a government that really takes any notice. It doesn't really care. You know, as they say, look at the budget the other day. That didn't affect any of us. So we are stuck in a situation where we may as well be living back in 1952, 53, because that's how it feels. We've not come on anywhere from those days. Barry has mentioned is that we're kind of going backwards rather than actually moving forward in civilised times. So let me now um, take the conversation to Joe, Joe Richardson from Living Wage Foundation. Joe, you have extensively undertaken research on uh, poverty and finance. From your uh, point of view, what has been the, the findings? But before that, what do you actually do? Uh, yeah, thanks, Rapon. So I work for the Living Wage Foundation, uh, which is the campaign at the heart of the movement that a long day's work deserves a fair day's pay. Um, so our organisation, what it does is it um, kind of works to campaign to make sure that workers uh, actually get a real living wage. So the real living wage is independently calculated by the Resolution Foundation and a group of independent economists. So what they do is they will calculate a rate, which means that if those people are working full time on that rate, they will be able to earn a decent standard of living. So by decent standard of living, we're talking about the things that yourself and Barry have already mentioned and the core tenets of this podcast. So heat, eat rent but also things that you people might not consider to be essential all the time but you know things that do have a massive impact on people's daily lives so for example being able to afford the kids school uniform being able to replace a white good having a savings buffer in place to make sure that you can account for those uh, sort of shortfalls that you might get in your own personal finances so our movement the living wage foundation looks to accredit businesses uh, to make sure that they pay their staff a real living wage um, and we currently have around eleven thousand. Um, accredited employees throughout the UK and so around one in ten employees through the UK actually work for a living wage accredited employer 
Um, so yeah, we're, we're starting to get some real movement in the labor market and it's starting to have a real impact on people, hopefully. You've undertaken um, research around living wage and the conditions of living wage, primarily in London. Tell us a bit more about that and what has been the finding? So yeah, we've undertaken a lot of research on obviously the scale of being paid less than the living wage. So the living wage rates currently that we're talking about are £11.95 an hour in London and £10.90 outside London. Obviously, the rate's a lot higher in London to reflect the higher living costs. And we've also looked into the experience of being paid less than that rate at the moment. And we also have sort of longitudinal data, which is trackable over the past sort of two-year period. And what we found is that through the cost of living crisis, that the bite of low pay, i.e the experience of low pay has got so, so much worse. So we know that, for example, at a greater rate than ever before, people are cutting behind on food, people are cutting behind on bills or falling behind on rent or their mortgage. So I mean, looking at the kind of three core tenets of the podcast, heat, eat or rent, there is actually a lot of experience that a lot of low paid workers are cutting back on not one, not two, but all three. So it's a really harsh picture. And it's actually getting a lot worse. And I think one of the more notable things is that we did this research both kind of during the height of the pandemic, and also so then again, at the start of the cost of living crisis in January this year, and then again in August, and it's got progressively worse throughout that period. So we see particularly, actually, the, the kind of the increasing bite of low pay is getting worse between January and August 2022. So actually, in the last six months, we've seen kind of the rate of people cutting back on food or falling behind on bills or not being able to pay the rent or mortgage has accelerated at a greater pace than we've ever seen. So I think you really cannot underestimate just how bad things are getting and just the things that, that Barry mentioned, people that are, you know, having to kind of just go to bed early to make sure they're not using that much energy and all those things. It's really getting to a point where, you know, people are at breaking point if they weren't already there. And when you think about the scale of the issue, so for example, our last iteration of that polling said that 42% of low paid workers, so around 2.4 million workers nationally, are regularly skipping meals because of the financial pressure that they're under. And also, unsurprisingly, as you might um, kind of appreciate as well, workers are considerably more likely to say that they have poor health or poor mental health as a result of the level of pay that they receive. So, I mean, the huge, huge pressures financially, emotionally, mentally on low paid workers is absolutely massive. And probably the current cost of living crisis is well, in all, in by many accounts, is the worst financial experience that that people have experienced over the past sort of five to ten years. So, austerity, COVID, financial crisis included, this is the worst it's possible it has been over the past few years. Yeah, this is by far the worst. You've talked a great deal about some of the problems, and the problems have been talked about in various platforms. What solutions do you want to see? What outcome do you want to see? And how are you going to go about getting it? Well, obviously, at the Living Wage Foundation, our primary focus is on what businesses can do uh, to ensure that, you know, their their employees can earn a real living wage. So the principal objective of our organization is to get as many businesses paying the living wage as possible, because that is probably the best safety blanket that any employer can make uh, to ensure that their employees aren't having to go through things that Barry mentioned, like, as I say, you know, falling behind on bills, not being able to pay the rent and skipping meals. That's the kind of most important thing. However, there are also things that employees can do. We also have a living hours scheme, which tries to make sure that people aren't on things like zero hours contracts unless they themselves choose to be. So the living hours scheme requires that employees provide a minimum of 16 hours work per week at least. 
um, unless the uh, worker themselves want to work fewer. And that's in line with things like the universal credit requirements, meaning that they don't have to kind of get sanctioned or face the, uh, face the threat of sanctioning. And also that they get decent notice for shifts. So for example, if you get called into work on short notice, you have only 24 hours, that can increase your costs. You can have to get emergency travel, you can have to get emergency childcare, and all of that has an impact on financial resilience. And the living hours scheme, the final instrument of it is to make sure that if that shift is cancelled, that you get full payment. Because obviously, having cuts to income during this period is, is one of the most difficult things. And obviously, income volatility, with regards to the impact on budgeting, is also incredibly difficult. So as I say, we're primarily focused on what businesses can do. Um, but putting it in slightly more kind of political terms in the more kind of broader economic landscape, there is an incredible emphasis at the moment on the mechanisms of delivering growth. And the mini budget that we saw last year was incredibly growth focused, at least in its terminology. And there is a, a growing body of evidence that actually, if you uplift those low paid workers onto a meaningful real living wage, there's actually a very kind of um, a very potent growth impact that you get because low paid workers have a greater propensity to consume, which is sort of a fancy economics term for the fact that if low paid workers get extra money in their pockets, they're more likely to spend it and they're more likely to spend it locally, which means that when we talk about kind of increasing growth, increasing social equity, and also think about reviving local high streets, actually paying the living wage is a really powerful instrument to do that. Um, so that's um, kind of, I think, one of the kind of backdraft solutions that you might get by paying uh, the living wage and increased take up of the living wage. Um, so yeah, there's a few things I think that, that we can focus on, but I think the fundamentals of our movement is that those that are in work shouldn't be in poverty and certainly we should be paying a real living wage. Let me um, take the conversation to Jane Clark. And uh, Jane, are you there? Jane, oh, clearly you've heard what Joe had to say in a sense of how businesses should be taking on um, responsibility to provide living wage because that's what is needed. And current landscape is not quite sure where things are going anyway. But from your experience, what are you seeing from the perspective of debt advisors in the UK? Right. For the last couple of years, we've seen more people having what are called deficit budgets, not just those on, on benefits, but also those working, they just don't have the money to pay their bills and they're earning just a little bit too much to get qualify for any of help with benefits such as housing benefit, council tax benefit and so forth. What we've seen over the last year and certainly in the last six months is an almost an exponential increase of these people. Um, people come for debt advice, first of all, they used to come to debt advice because they were worried about consumer credit debt. Well, as I've always said, getting rid of consumer credit debt is the easy bit. Now they're coming with priority debt and getting rid of, although you can get rid of priority debt sometimes with the, the wonderful debt relief order, for example, for council tax. Hey, could you briefly tell us what is priority debt? Priority debt to me is your rent. Um, my rent your council tax, and to me, I think fuel is a priority debt because without being warm, you can't really work. I think I, I think everything is a priority debt. I mean, okay, going and having your nails done might not be a priority debt, but certainly eating is, certainly clothing is. And if you've ever worked with somebody who doesn't buy toiletries, you know that's a priority as well. But the big thing is the roof over your head and your council tax because of the sanctions that can be taken and that people do take. 
And actually, although they say that, you know, just contact us and we'll help, what help? That's what gets me, what help? You go to the council, they see if you're entitled to any kind of reduction because believe it or not, a lot of single person don't claim their single person reduction. Um, there are people who ha are living with people who are not working, who don't realize they could be getting a reduction for that. And then when you, you talk to councils about it, they said, well, why haven't they done it? I said, why haven't you told them? People are expected to find all this out themselves. And when you're short of money, you're very vulnerable. You know, nurses, for example, who are working and you think, yes, they're getting a living wage. They're skipping meals so their children can eat. People aren't putting the heating on. I think that's quite true. I think, as I said to you uh, before, I went to talk to somebody in their home the other day and they were wearing gloves in the house because they were so cold. Um, fortunately, we haven't really hit the cold weather yet. We're told we're getting this money back, but you know, it's finding the money to pay it. And again, contact your, contact your provider. They will help you. Energy Action actually did some research. And I think, I'm not sure if it was the FCA, but an investigation was done. And the only um, energy company that uh, came into, didn't have any big issues with dealing with people, vulnerable customers was Scottish Power. Every other one had serious misgiving. So people are going for help and they're being kind of sent back again. And that, you know, people don't like banging and banging on a brick wall. So what happens is if they are paid their rent and their child needs a new pair of shoes, is that rent going to go to their landlord? Are they going to hope that they won't have their electricity cut off and they won't have a meter put in during the winter? There's all these kind of things. People hope that something will get better. But if I rob Peter to pay Paul, at least my, ch and that's the important thing. I think it's children being fed. Um, I know myself, you know, it's easy for you to skip a meal. Some people do it. But when you're having to skip meals to ensure your children are fed, I, but I can remember many years ago talking to a client who was giving his uh, children bread and milk because that's all he could afford. And that was years ago. And it, the problem has not got better. It's got worse. The problem has not get, got better, but it has gone worse. On that, let me take you back to the subject on deficit budget. How does a, an advisor deal with such an individual? Okay, well, the first thing you're supposed to look at is income maximization. This magic word, income maximization. So you look and you check they're entitled to all, they're, in, they're claiming all the benefits to which they're entitled. You look at places they could come cut back on spending. Um, and when it's everyday goods, imagine somebody on basics um, you see, what can they cut back on? So then you have to look at getting a second job. If you can find one, getting a third job. Barry, who spoke at the beginning, talked about pensioners. Pensioners shouldn't have to be finding a second job. Their pension should be enough to live on, especially people who've put money aside for extra pensions, and I know pensioners who aren't in that position. So it's, it's all a question of where do we magic up this money from? So we're in a position where we're having to say to clients, well, there's nothing more we can do. We can make these suggestions, but we haven't got magic wands. We haven't got magic wand, 
But in terms of wanting something for better, what sort of change do you want to see, Jane? Well, I want to see the government listen. I want to see the government. I mean, a living wage would be excellent. But as, um, you know, uh, Joe said, you know, he's, they're fighting for a living wage. But I see people who are on a, Nash, a living wage who can't manage because of the size of families or because of the bills, because of where they live. I'd like to see a bit more equality with where prices are. Now, I'm going to give you an example. At the moment, to buy uh, diesel here is basically £1.87 a litre, OK? I went down to Oxfordshire a few days ago and it was one seventy-three. That is a bit of a difference. And Joe was talking about the cost of living in London. I don't know if he's ever looked at the cost of living in Oxford or Cambridge, no cheaper. It's expensive everywhere you are. The government has got to put more money in for development. And cutting taxes for the rich is not the best way of doing it. Cutting the rate of income tax for the lower paid, I think might be better. There we are. There are lots of options available from our experts. Well, thank you for everyone for sharing your thoughts on Debt Talk. For those who are listening to Debt Talk and you want to get involved in shaping the direction of this podcast, get in touch with me and follow me on Debt Talk. Twitter, your Dr. Debt. Email ray at yourdoctordebt.com. I have come to the near to the end of Debt Talk podcast. Before I say goodbye to my speakers, I would like to hear from them what tips they can provide to our listeners when the decision is made by someone as to whether they should eat, heat or pay your rent. So let me start with Barry. Barry, what is your top tip? Only tips that I can say is that in my opinion, I would make sure you had something to eat. That is the main thing to do, is to make sure that you put your priorities first, which is to make sure that you're well. And the only way you're going to be well is to, to eat. Not, you know, the rent does annoy me, but it needs paying. But put another layer of, of, of blankets on, they say, but it's ridiculous. There is real, really no real good tip I can give you, except make sure that what you do, you do to make sure you keep yourself healthy this winter. Let me move the conversation to Joe. Yeah, yeah. Similar to, to Barry, it's very difficult for me to give tips to the to the individual. I mean, I often find that the research tells me that those that are on low paid are often actually very adept at budgeting in the first place, which means that often, you know, budgeting advice can only go so far in kind of, you know, pushing them uh, over the sort of poverty threshold. Um, so my my tip to is to businesses and just to say to pay the real living wage. I mean, the, the real living wage is independently calculated based on the cost of living. And it's the only wage floor in the UK which accounts for rising living costs. So, and when inflation is at around, what, 10.1%? This has literally never been more important. So if, if there are any business leaders that are listening to this podcast, please inquire with the Living Wage Foundation and please pay a real living wage to your staff. And finally, from Jane. My, one of my tips is, yes, you do need to eat. If you don't eat, you haven't got strength to do anything else. Keeping warm, layer up. I'm wearing a vest again now, but I call it a cami. Um, there are those kind of things. I do, I do have my heating turned down. It's not going on full until November. So I bet it had better not snow. Um, we do, you do need to contact your council or your landlord to see if there is anything that can be done about the rent. But I don't, you know, this is a big social policy issue. 
And there is a very good little um, website called Simple Energy Advice, which I would advise people to have a look at because they have 10 top tips for uh, energy advice. And there was something very interesting um, I saw the other day is that um, a lot of energy companies are offering incentives, actual incentives for people to use energy at non-peak times. And I would also like to congratulate ASDA who are for the over 60s, and I am one of those, for one pound, you can get uh, unlimited hot drinks, soup, and uh, a roll for a pound. And you can sit in there and do your work in the warm. But everything we're doing is they're just sticking plasters, as you know. Thank you, Ripon. You've heard from Jane, everything is just sticking plasters. On that note, I would like to thank my speakers. And also, if you want to uh, find out a bit more about Debt Talk, please go on Spotify, iTunes, or on your drdebt.com website. Next month on Debt Talk, I'm going to be speaking about um, minority communities and money in trouble. And on this note, thank you for listening to Debt Talk podcast with your host, Ripon Ray. <laughs>